This podcast contains toilet humour, rude words, and lots of spoilers. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony art. It's time for Agony Art. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony Art. Well, Agony Art is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that ball. Instead of watching it fall, give Agony Art a call. Welcome to Agony Art, the Agony Art podcast in which we try to solve your problems, not by offering any actual advice, no siree, but instead by telling you how those problems were solved in the great art of our age. And while we can't guarantee we'll solve any of those problems, at least you'll be left with a fun reading, listening and watching list to enjoy in your free time. My name is Liam, the resident mellifluous music maker here at Agony Art. Joining me, as always, are Aaron, our beautiful burrowing bookworm bison, and Carl, our indefatigable filmic freak. Now, Carl, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I did look through the meanings of freak prior to writing that. And I don't mind freak, it's the other word. I found <laughs> a person who is obsessed with a particular activity or interest, which I thought was the definition to go by. Anyway, how's it going? Yeah, all right, thanks. Yeah, yeah, can't complain. I should mention though, we've had uh, a few complaints about the. No, we can't complain. <laughs> no, but we're not complaining. We're being complained to. They can't complain. We mustn't. We mustn't grumble about it. <laughs> By the pickles, some of our listeners have been complaining that we've been slurring our words this series. They think that our well, diction... What for? <laughs> exactly. They think that our diction has got worse than Ariana Grande's. And all we can say now is vowels. <sighs> That's the one. So I thought maybe we could introduce consonants back into our vocabularies by putting, our, putting ourselves in the minds of the greatest... Dictionizers? Dictionaries. Dictionaries, yeah. <laughs> Kel Walderman. No, who who in broadcasting has the best speaking voice? Come on. Fiona, it's, a, it's a category of people. Fiona Bruce. Specific. Mel, yes. Melvin Bragg. Oh. Uh, maybe. Did he? Has he ever been a newsreader? Newsreaders is my answer. Yeah. <laughs> Kirsty, what's her face? You've got to be. You've got to have good diction, haven't you, to mm. tell people that the world is ending on a constant basis. Mm. George Adegaia. So, I thought that I, what I did was I downloaded a script from an actual news story and I thought I'll give you both a bit of a little bit of the script to read in your best newscaster voice to get you warmed up for this episode and you know you'll it'll work on your diction yeah however I also wanted to make it a bit interesting so I've played in a little bit of the drama into it as well do you remember when we did fake advert a couple of weeks ago mm. to show advertisers how good we are at advertising <laughs> I want you to show your, show your drama chops here as well. I'm going to give you a character to play while you are reading this. Right. You'll see what I mean. So, Carl, I'm going to load up your script. Carl, you are a dignified and well-educated, but relatable and a little bit sexy newsreader. Think George Alagaya. George Alagaya. However, you're desperate for a piss. So you kind of you kind of want to get through it quickly, but your mm. professionalism is stopping you from going too quickly because then you know 
you wouldn't be a good newsreader anymore. So a shake, stop like banging. That. No, I need to do that to do the piss. Some character. Do that without banging the floor. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Action. Podcast fans are in shock today after it emerged that presenters of one of Britain's most successful podcasts were not three separate men, but one man doing three voices. The problem-solving podcast Agony Art was nationalised last year after it was deemed a vital national institution, and the three presenters were each given salaries in excess of £1 million a year. Money, it now seems, has all ended up in the pockets of one man. <laughs> Aaron Chawamba Cumbersworth, who podcast fans say... Has a penis the size of Big Ben. That's good. Wait, wait, wait. Just to add some drama to the scene, some more drama. You have now pissed yourself. It got too much for you. You've pissed yourself. And now you're a bit worried that the camera crew can see it spreading across your trousers. The information was given to the press by way of a whistleblower calling himself Deep Throat Dennis. Dennis, who uploaded the accusations in the form of a podcast episode in which he spoke in a voice uncanny like Mr. Chawamba Wambersworth's own. <laughs> that was good, Carl. That was good. It was, I think, possibly because of the drama, some of the consonants were lost. Oh, no, I didn't even think about the consonants. <laughs> you didn't even. Oh, the point was the consonants. I know, but I was just. I had character in my head. <laughs> All right, so Liam, your role is set in the 1950s. You're a newsreader on the wireless. Remember what they sounded like? Terribly posh. Incredibly posh people on the wireless. But this morning, you couldn't face being away from your pet hamster all day. So you snuck it into work in your jacket pocket. However, it has escaped. (laughs) And it's running around inside your suit, clawing at your body. Action. Whoever Mr. Jumblewumblesworth will pay back the taxpayer money he has earned under the names of his fictional co-host Liam and Carl remains a mystery. When asked, his spokesperson said that Aaron Chumberwumbersworth was unavailable for comment at this time. <laughs> many have speculated that this spokesperson is also, in fact, Mr. Chumberwumbersworth putting on a new voice, an accusation which is yet to be verified. At an emergency press conference (laughs) earlier today, the Prime Minister remained loyal to the beleaguered podcaster, saying that he can make up all the voices he wants, and as long as he gives them names, then his government will pay them tax. That's, oh, fuck. Salaries. Apologies for my French. Stop there, Liam. Now, your hamster's been running all over your body. It's been excruciating pain, some of it. And at one point, you just couldn't help yourself. You batted at it. And now you can feel that you've killed the hamster inside your suit. This hamster that you brought to work with you this morning because you couldn't face being away from it. So you're devastated. You're no longer in pain because it's not running around, but you're in emotional pain. Action. Analysts had expected the government's approval rating to drop following the press conference, but it has risen and continues to rise even now. Whether the public's patience with Aaron Chumbawambersworth's shenanigans will ever wear thin remains to be seen. We'll be back with news on Betty Potter's assault and battery charges after this short break. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. Very good. Excellent. Well done. Well done, lads. I think we've got our consonants back. Let's <laughs> see what the pickles think. The thing is, I, I can't think of an easier way to do it. <laughs> so intuitive as well. (laughs) 
no, I think it, it really helped us waste five minutes. Anyway, <laughs> before we begin today, I want to make it very clear that we're not really here to solve your life's hardest problems. We are not qualified to solve any problems. Um, and all our submissions are certified 100% trivial and or fictional pickles from pickles. And our advice should almost never be followed. We're really only here to have fun. So if you're having a real hard time, I'd recommend visiting our website for guidance on who to turn to. That's agonyartpodcast.com. Anyway, now we've got that out of the way, let's get on with the show and come to our first problem of the day. Recently, my husband used one of my favourite t-shirts as a DIY rag, leaving it ruined by paint and polyfiller. I know he didn't mean it, he just picked up the wrong t-shirt thinking it was one of his old ones. But I still want to take revenge of some sort, just to teach him a lesson. What, what do you smart, vengeful chaps suggest? Did you know we're smart, vengeful chaps? Would you call yourself vengeful? I like the idea of vengeance. I like the idea of vengeance as well, because socking it to someone who has made your life a misery or whatever. Mm. But oh. at the end of the day, like letting go of it and not even, you don't even have to forgive them, but just forget them. Mm. I think that's the better I, route. I think a lot it? of the time people that do something to slight you are so ignorant they don't realise they've done it. Mm. And so you might get consumed with vengeance. And then if you get it, they'll be like, who the fuck are you? What's your problem? And they'd be if like, you, shit. If your wife, Carl, or Liam, did something like this, used one of your favourite t-shirts as a DIY rag, and they didn't mean it, they just picked up the wrong shirt, they apologised, would you still want vengeance? Or are we dealing with a really nasty piece of work here? <laughs> Is this- <laughs> it's true, I'm not sure vengeance would be what I seek. Still, I've got I to think, help some way. I think I'd have to file for divorce. <laughs> yeah, instantly. Right, that's it. That's the last straw. <laughs> what was the first straw? <laughs> it's the first and last straw. My uh, wife's grandpa used a picture in his garage to catch oil leaking from a car. And it turns out the picture was worth like 10 grand or something like that. <laughs> and he still managed to sell it for a lot of money. But, you know, maybe it was an expensive t shirt. Who knows? Mm. But um, so this is quite simple advice if you want to learn. I actually didn't pick up on the vengeance theme, which would have unlocked a load of examples I could have used. <laughs> Maybe advising don't seek vengeance. But if you do, then the place to go is the jackass slash ass movies slash series. <laughs> slash ass. Jackass slash ass. <laughs> Kick ass. Um, so... There are various little things you can do. Um, I find some of the best pranks are the ones they do spontaneously on each other rather than the set-up ones. Mm. So, like, sneak up behind him and shave his head with a razor. Yeah. You know? Great. Perfect. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) That is actually assault, though, cutting someone's hair without their permission. Yeah, well, you know. Is he going to sue her? I don't know. Or is he going to get her arrested? Might do. You might be starting a legal battle here that lasts Good. years, Carl. This is not advice. <laughs> um, if he plays golf, you can hide in the bushes and use an air horn every time he takes a shot. That's funnier. Yeah. Like that. They get really pissed off. If you, do you remember that one? They throw yeah. the golf clubs at him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but being being when I say a golfer, I'm using quotation marks because I play. I wouldn't say I'm a golfer. <laughs> You're one of those people who posts online. 
as a golfer, as, this really offends me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be annoyed, but I can see how people would like think it's they're the devil doing that. Um, you could hide a snake in the toilet and lock him in. Doesn't have to be venomous. <laughs> no, no, and it doesn't have to be a boa constrictor. Just <laughs> it doesn't have to be, but it could be. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to kill him, you could uh, write a note on, put it on the wall, and hide a spring-loaded boxing glove behind it. So when he reads it, he gets punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> or you could punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Cut out the middleman yeah. and just punch him in the face. Yeah, but that's less of a prank and more assault, isn't it? <laughs> well, apparently all of these are. Um, so, yeah, you know, if you watch all four of those films, plus the series, I stay clear of Dirty Sanchez. Sorry, Dirty Sanchez. Yeah, it's... Um... A bit more gross. <laughs> you got your consonants back. Yeah, they're back. I've lost my consonants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a bit more extreme. Hmm. It's all of that stuff's gone out of fashion, isn't it? That was big fashion in the uh, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, I say early two thousands. Yeah. I used to love like um, Viva La Bam and shit like that. The, mm. Like all the offshoots of MTV, kind of probably frat boy culture, isn't it? Mm. Like that's why it went out of fo- fashion. We'd all go out in the street and say, "Let's do jackass," and we'd just like jump off yeah. a three foot wall. <laughs> <laughs> Parkour. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know you can get a lot of um, inspiration from there. Don't try this at home. Stay <laughs> Jumping off a three foot wall. Yeah. <laughs> did you know? Did you know this? Did you know it? That in 1926, Agatha Christie went missing for 11 days. I did not know the that. actual author. Real Agatha Christie. Did someone write a book to find where she was? And when she was located, she had no memory of what she'd done, with doctors diagnosing her with an unquestionable, genuine loss of memory. Wow. It started in August when her husband Archie asked her for a divorce because he loved someone else, called Nancy Neal. Then on the 3rd of December, they had a row, and Agatha got in her car and drove off. And that car was found the next morning abandoned in Surrey. Hang on. It started in August and she drove off on the 3rd of December. Yeah. it's The whole story started in August oh, okay. because he'd asked for this divorce. Presumably they'd been living together in an unhappy situation from then till December. And then they had a row. Agatha got in her car, drove off. The car was found the next day and in Surrey abandoned. And this became a sensational news story at the time. Over a thousand police officers searched for her, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle gave a medium one of her gloves to try and locate her. <laughs> I bet the press like, was filled. Like a, it was a, a classic, a writer who uses logic to unpick. Also, give her, gave her one of her gloves. Maybe it was a dog. The medium. <laughs> <laughs> now go get her medium. There was a cash reward as well, but still, she wasn't found until December the fourteenth. She was found at the Swan Hydropathic Hotel in Harrogate, Yorkshire, where she was checked in as Miss, Mrs. Tressa Neal. Same surname as her husband's mistress. Mm. Attitude. Now, as I say, she couldn't remember any of it, so we can only theorise what happened in the meantime. Maybe it was a fugue state, some believe. she, You know, that's how upshit she, <laughs> upshit she was. Upshit she was. Fugue state. <laughs> Maybe it was a publicity stunt, but it's ripe. For fictionalisation, isn't it? That little gap. Well, you're in luck. Because it's been fictionalised in The Christie Affair by Nina de Gramont. Gramont? Sorry, Nina. This is recommended by my wife. Uh, sorry, I mean one of our in-house researchers here at Agony Art. <laughs> um, 
told mainly actually from the perspective of Mr. Christie's mistress, I think. So it's the story of someone who's a villain to Agatha, but actually ends up being pretty sympathetic because most of these stories do when you read them from... you Basically, unless they're really evil, you normally side with the protagonist in the end, don't you? Because you're living in their head while you read the book. Anyway, it provides a colourful and, obviously, fictional possibility of what might have been happening during those days. I don't really have to go any further than that because it's irrelevant to my point but everyone i've spoken to who has read this says it's excellent so you know check it out uh except this person there was a q a there's a q a on every goodreads page every book you can ask a question about it people can answer someone asked does this novel spoil any agatha christie novels and someone's answered no because it barely has anything to do with agatha christie it is told by mr christie's vile mistress I am a huge Agatha Christie fan and have read every Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple book. Do yourself a favour and read a real Agatha Christie book instead. The Mystery of Mrs Christie by Mary Benedict is a much better book. Can you imagine being like, hashtag Team Agatha for an author who is dead? Like, she's not here to, like, recognise how much you're sucking her dick. So, was it a fugue state? Was it a nervous breakdown? Was she trying to frame her husband for murder? Was it just a big publicity stunt? I really don't think it matters. Find out next week on Agony Hour. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it matters because I think we can say one thing for sure. I bet her husband was shitting his pants. Hmm. So that's an option. Shit your pants. No. (laughs) Run away for a couple of weeks to scare him. That'd be a nice bit of revenge, wouldn't it? Yeah. I don't really agree with all this revenge stuff. But if you do agree with all this revenge stuff, what you could do <laughs> is write a classic revenge song. And I'm not talking about Eamon and Frankie this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I reckon you could do a lot worse than take lessons from Carly Simon. In 1972, she recorded and released a song which we have spoke about before on the podcast. You're so vain. Although not in great detail. Yes, Carl. You're so vain. In the song, she appears to sing about an ex-lover who she was happy with once but did something to hurt her. In the second verse, she sings, Well, you said that we made such a pretty pair and that you would never leave, but you gave away the things you loved, and one of them was me. In the last verse, she says, Well, you're where you should be all the time, and when you're not, you're with some underworld spy or the wife of a close friend. Wife of a close friend, and you're so vain. Anyway, um, there's also... Sorry, go on, Carl. No, it's just I've never heard of your wife of a close friend. Wife of a close. I've never heard. Like I've never twigged that bit really. Mm, third verse. Listen again. Use your ears. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, but yeah, it implies that there was some cheating going on, and there's also some quite specific lines in the song too. Notably earlier in that third verse, where it says, "Well, I hear you went up to Saratoga, and your horse naturally won. Then you flew your Learjet up to Nova Scotia to see the total eclipse of the sun, which is quite interesting." Bonnie Tyler was the other woman. Could have been. Could have been. <laughs> um, I thought that's quite interesting, though, because if you were Carly Simon's ex and that bit described you perfectly, would it be that vain to imagine that the song is about you? <laughs> <laughs> it's about my other husband. You're perceptive. <laughs> because this song is really about you. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. Uh, there's been many suspicions over the years about who it's actually about, including Mick Jagger, David Bowie, David Cassidy, Cat Stevens. 
1972, Carly Simon said, and I don't want to throw any shade on Carly Simon, but this turned into a bit of a carry-on. In 1972, she said, it's not about a specific man. It's about men in general. But no one really seemed to believe it. In 2003, she changed her tune because she agreed to auction the name of the person it was about for charity. Uh. <laughs> um, on the condition it was kept secret. And the president of NBC, a guy called Dick Eberol, won the auction with his bid of $50,000. And she let him give a clue about the name. And he said, it has an E in it. <laughs> <laughs> Over the years... The thing is, though, once you've won that auction... There's no reason for you to keep it a secret. What's mm. she going to do? Demand that the charity give the money back? <laughs> yeah, good point. In America, she could definitely sue the person for something. Yeah. And like, he'll lose a million. It's a genius plot for her. Mm. Over the years, she's added more letters. So the E was joined by an A and then an R. Can and I have a consonant, please? <laughs> so it's Carly Rae Jepsen. Carly, Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> then in 2007, Warren Beatty. Do you know Warren Beatty? Actor. He's, he's quite famous. Oh, is he the rich man or is he the actor? He's the actor. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking of Warren Buffett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Warren Beatty's probably rich as well, though, to be fair. He, he ruined the game a little bit, to be honest, because in an interview he just came out and said, let's be honest, that song was about me. He's um, so vain. But, well... <laughs> he thinks the song's about him. <laughs> in an interview, Carly Simon said, well, he definitely thinks the song's about him. He rang me up and thanked me for it. <laughs> <laughs> in 2009, she re-recorded You're So Vain. Um, She's and dying out on this one, isn't she? In what yeah, no. in what seems like an attempt to get people to buy it, she said that I've hidden the name of the person it's about in the song. If you listen to it closely, you can hear it. And, and I everyone said nobody cares anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually listened to this yesterday, and you can hear quite an obvious reversed name of David in there, like after the second verse or something. And then in an interview, she was like, oh, no, that's not David. That's me saying Ovid. And then I recorded it backwards as well and layered them on top of each other. What? what is going on, Carly Simon? I know. She's and get a grip on your life. It. No one gives a shit about your one song. And, I, and I'm sorry. She's, so <laughs> She's so vain. She's so vain. She thinks that song is still relevant. <laughs> I was starting to lose interest at this point, to be honest. And then in 2015... I she, hope you cracked it. Style. It's about Liam. <laughs> <laughs> and I've worked it out. It's me. She was writing her memoirs, and in an interview with the BBC, she said... So, yeah, that second verse, it is about Warren Beatty. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the first two verses... Oh, Jesus Christ. Who gives a shit? And at that point, I was like, you know what? I don't care. You can keep your secrets, Carly (laughs) Simon. Is there any advice for... (laughs) What have we called Uh, them again? Yeah. Uh, What did we call them? We called them Tony Soprano. Tony (laughs) Soprano, three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Tony! The point is, Carly Simon's recording of this song was a very good thing for her. Uh, as you can tell, she's been dining out on it for the last, what, 50 years now? <laughs> well, she's been trying. <laughs> like. it, was, it was number one in a bunch of different co- countries. I didn't actually check uh, where, how well the re-release did, but I assume it did all right. Uh, it set her up for life. She didn't even need to make it obvious who is it about, so you could release your own revenge song without your husband having a clue that it's about him and he can just carry on happy as Larry. Fuck you, Radback. <laughs> so we're all agreeing, get revenge. This is a running theme from you, though, Liam, because when you did use Frankie, it was in answer to how can I get revenge on someone? And your answer was release a revenge song. There's so many examples. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Tried and tested. Problems.
Right, on to problem two. I keep catching my neighbour staring through my windows and it's really creeping me out. How can I address this? We've done a few nosy neighbour problems, haven't we? Or like annoying neighbour, mm. stuff like that. It's a real, it's an epidemic. It's a problem of epidemic proportions. watching. Speaking of nosy neighbours. Like regular people. <laughs> are either of you uh, in any a nosy neighbor. neighbourhood watch associations? Uh, we are, yeah. You are? Yeah. We put a sticker up the other day. Ooh, what do you do? How did it, how's it changed your life? Uh, it doesn't. We put stickers up and hope that they think we're watching. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Who's got some no- nosy neighbours that we can uh, anonymise this person with? Oh, at Doc Cotton. Yeah. Was she a nosy neighbour? I mean, she's always wondering what's going on, wasn't she? Oh. I'm actually going to give you a positive story. The Bank Street Peeper by Irma Odrak. It's a 2021 book. Oh, it's quite recent, isn't it? <laughs> I haven't read it, but it's got a <laughs> 4.88 rating on Goodreads. That's pretty high. That's what, what, cost it, the, what cost it a point one two? don't know. One of the best ratings I've ever seen, but it's only got eight ratings. Mm. <gasps> Small so. sample size, statistically insignificant. Yeah. <laughs> what do their wives think? For regular listeners. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, it tells the story of Reginald Rutley, a very sad and lonely man who watches his neighbours through their windows. Seemingly not because he's a stalker or he wishes them any ill will, but because he's not happy with his own life. So he kind of needs to watch others live theirs to make himself feel better. It's apparently very well written and it reminds us of the things that we all share. Grief, fragility, struggles, pain. And in doing so, it lets us know that it's all those things that unite us. So, although peeping is weird, we actually end up rooting for Reginald. So, maybe it's important to remind yourself, June, that although your neighbour is weird, they might just be incredibly lonely and think that your life is so interesting and happy that they'd rather live vicariously through you as if you're a sim and they're watching you on their little computer screen. However, I don't actually agree with that. I think nosy neighbours are scumbags and i've got far too many people around here who irritate me so (laughs) they're all pricks so my real advice would probably be next time you see your neighbor peeping in through your window take the thickest book you can find in your house and just throw it at him (laughs) (laughs) um but it does remind me of one of the first episodes of the simpsons it might even be the first episode i can't remember in which they walk around the block looking in all the windows to Mm. like on christmas yeah, yeah to like demonstrate that everyone is as weird as them and it actually turns out that they're not like they go <laughs> they've all got weird things like i think one of them is the flanders house and they're all praying or whatever and then shit like that. <laughs> and then <laughs> they the last house they get to is a dump and they all think that the people live there who live there must live like tramps and then they realize it's their own house <laughs> <laughs> i was um i was fully on board with what you were saying there until you kind of went in the other direction and said for bookham because um, my advice is kind of similar to what you were saying at first, um, which is like, obviously, June Brown, I, I think you're probably a, you know, you listen to a great podcast. So you're clearly a very smart individual, very smart pickle. Uh, so you might have tried this already. And if you have, then, you know, you can disregard this. But have you thought about asking your neighbor what's up, for example? You know, have either of you ever seen or generally know about the musical Dear Evan Hansen? I generally know about it. I haven't seen it. I generally have heard of it, but don't know anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
generally have heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> I recognise it when someone says the name to me, but I couldn't think of it myself. <laughs> I recognise that they are all English words. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's written by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. Pasek and Paul, known for... Carl, you should know this. I'll give you a clue. It's your favourite musical of all time. You don't stop going on about it. The Greatest Showman. The greatest Showman. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's I was going to say that <laughs> It's about a young boy named Evan Hansen Funnily enough Who suffers from social anxiety And it's one of those shows that It's quite difficult to explain it in one sen- sentence But it has themes of like Depression and suicide and stuff like that um, But there's also some comedy in it as well Being a musical But at times it gets quite serious And the, the, the general gist of it is quite serious Evan's I Want Song I think this is I Want Song I don't know, I didn't think about it too much So it might not be But it's uh, it's one of the main songs of the show is called waving through a window uh, where he describes his anxiety as like being on the outside always looking in um, like he's trying to re- interact with people but he doesn't know how and he feels like he's just outside waving through a window mm. which reminded me a lot of your neighbor or your neighbor reminded me a lot of this because it's like a, it seems like a, it could be a very similar sort of thing um maybe maybe they're trying to wave through the window too so you know, I would say the first port of call is if you feel safe to, obviously, try and have a conversation to ask if everything's okay. And if they're still creeping you out, you know, obviously make it clear that you're uncomfortable with the window watching and the waving. And if you tried that, of course, and they're still doing it, I don't know, call the police. Not really qualified for that. And do all this in musical form. Yeah, what, sing, singing and it. dancing. <laughs> See if they reciprocate. Could you get the fuck off of my drive? I'm calling the police. <laughs> And you won't be alive. <laughs> oh, I was going to say they'll be here in five. <laughs> That's better. I like that. That is better. <laughs> because I threatened murder with my life, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we, I don't know if we've had we, a... We! <laughs> I don't know if we've had a similar problem before, but we've mentioned Rear Window before, haven't we? Yeah. Where peeping Tom-ism is a good thing, because you witness a murder and you stop a potential no you witness I killed Italy Elder yeah you witness a crime happening and you help stop it so that was uh, we've already done that Um, so let's talk about um, Mayor of East Town from 2021 I think you've watched that have you watched that yeah you haven't probably 2021 Hmm. what do you think I am I can't remember the last time I watched a film it's not a film it's a TV show oh (laughs) I mean I'll Lately, I've been watching Lost Friends and Desperate Housewives, so I think I'm about 20 years behind. Help, I'm in 2001 and I can't get out. Um, yeah, so Mayor of Easttown uh, was in 2021, seven-episode run on HMO. HMO? HMO. It's a, it a home with multiple occupancy. <laughs> HBO, home box office. Um, starring Kate Winslet, who's very, very good in it, in my opinion. No yep, I think she won Emmy for it. She certainly won an Agony Art Award. Yeah. Good girl. <laughs> best. Best Kate. Best Rising Star. <laughs> a newcomer award, yeah. Um, it's directed by Craig Zobel. 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 Do you remember there's a character, Colin Zobel, I think, in it? The, no, the, the male policeman. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. Is that what his name is? It sounds I remember like he, the male policeman. Yeah, it sounds like he kind of named him after himself-ish. A bit mm. weird. Lad. Yeah. Shellfish. Um... <laughs> Yeah, he's a crab. <laughs> oh, no, that's not a show. <laughs> he says, go ahead and kiss the girl. So there's, it's like a murder mystery program. 
It's more about the characters, though. I don't know if you stop me if I'm mm. talking bullshit. Like, the main plot is Mare, Mare. It's um, kind of dealing with her own issues. Like, her son committed suicide two years previously. She's a bit of a fuck-up. But she's in a really small town, and everybody knows her. And, yeah, like, yeah. the people call her directly to deal with, instead of calling the police and stuff. She's a policewoman. I should have said that. <laughs> or a detective, even. Yeah. Um and everyone knows her. Everyone knows her family. Everyone knows everyone, actually. Um, and so, like, murder mysteries obviously hit the town hard. And she's under a lot of pressure to deal with it because everyone knows that she's the only one that's got to deal with it. Um, one of the underlying plots is a lady, one of her neighbours calls her in the morning to say that there was a, someone staring at her oh, yeah, I remember in the window at night. From the garden. Yeah. Or from behind her garden. Like yeah, that, that's it, yeah. And then every now and again in the first like four or five episodes, she might drive past and she sees the person staring and then she goes back and then he's gone. And with the underlying plot or the other plot of the murder mystery, you're like, well, it's got to be this guy, creepy behaviour going on. And then it's kind of a spoiler, so fast forward 30 seconds if you want to. Um, she apprehends the creep, as they call him, and it's a man with dementia that goes out of his house sometimes at night and doesn't know where he is and he just stands stands there staring. So he wasn't actually the creep or the murderer. And it kind of... Um, it's one of those programs that makes you think, oh, it's definitely that guy. Constantly, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. My brother-in-law is like that. Is it? When he's watching a murder mystery mm-hmm. of any kind, mm-hmm. every scene he's got a new theory. <laughs> and because he's basically, by the end of the series, he mm-hmm. will have accused everyone in the show of being the murderer. He's always right. So he'll go, I told you it was that bloke. Knew it. And it's like, yeah. You also told me it was everyone else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the joke we always make. And he... Mm-hmm. I think he gets offended by that. But. <laughs> what, you mean I'm not a detective? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I suppose the point is quite simple, is that you don't know... If he's standing there with binoculars looking at you, and it's a problem. It's a clear problem. But if, you don't, if you're just standing there and you think he's looking in, you might be, your imagination might be playing. I'm saying if you're worried, call the police and let them deal, deal with it and sort it out. Call your neighbourhood, watch people, whatever. Um, in case it is dangerous, but it might not be as bad as you think it is. It might not be a creep. So we're all preaching a bit of compassion then. Hmm. I think so. It's a difficult one though, isn't it? Because it could just as equally be a genuine issue. And like Carl says, what do you do in that situation? You probably should just call the police. Hmm. At least he'll nip it in the bud. The problem is, is British people are up, but then he'll know I called the police. But then you're generally, genuinely concern about the behaviour so it's probably the right thing to do a ranger came arranging to old town one fine day the town so came to meet him they heard what he had to say he said i hear this town's got problems some outlaws on the run and i've come to solve these problems with my problem gun Soon got to these outlaws about a ranger new in town And they soon came out of hiding to put this ranger down They laughed when they first saw him beneath the high noon sun But he soon stopped them from laughing with his problem gun Problem gun, problem gun Yeah, the ranger solved their problems with his problem gun. Yes, problem free. 
My family runs a business that goes back generations and does fairly well for itself. I'm expected to accept a fairly high level role in this business pretty soon, but I don't really want it. I'd rather carve my own path, do something different for a change. However, I'm worried that leaving the family business will essentially mean leaving the family, because no one will ever talk to me again. What can I do to avoid familial exile? Did we not have this problem last week? They're similar, but it was similar, wasn't it? they didn't say that that business was mm. successful mm. last week. Yeah. True. Last week, maybe you didn't want the role because the the business, <laughs> the business is slowly is yeah, <laughs> slowly going down the drain. What I thought when I read this was when people send in their problems, we put them in a queue and it takes quite a long time to get around to them sometimes. And it can take months. With sometimes that in is. mind, <laughs> yeah. With that in mind, do we think that maybe we could have prevented Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family if oh, we'd got to this problem a dear. bit sooner? Sorry, Harry, Harry. and Meghan. Oh, Hazard. Hazard. I'm here to tell you, Megary, that you absolutely need to be involved in your family business. I'm not changing my tune since last week. Listen to the old man. Follow the van. <laughs> it is essential. Was that last week? I can't remember. I don't remember. He's a dustman. Long line of postmen. Go on. <laughs> it is essential that you do this. Without you, it could all go to hell and everybody you care about could suffer. Jesus. How do I know this? I learned it the hard way from a Disney musical in 1994 called The Lion King. I was going to do Hercules. I spent 20 minutes writing up stuff about Hercules and then I realised that we already did it a few weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a musical film, so Cole, you can't get mad. (laughs) Under the sea. (laughs) They sound the same, just saying. Um... Y'all know this story, but let's recap quickly. This is a story all about how a lion's dad got killed by a hyena. By a clown. (laughs) (laughs) Simba is the prince of Pride Rock, I think. Is that his title? Yeah. One day he's going to be the Lion King, just like his dear old dad who nothing terrible could ever happen to, Mufasa. But in the shadows lurks Scar, Mufasa's camp inexplicably English brother. (laughs) (laughs) Have you, uh, did you see uh, D23 or whatever they call it? There's a Mufasa liking prequel announced. Yeah, I'll just... They need to stop. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, it's cool. Just stop it with all this shit. Stop using your intellectual property. (laughs) (laughs) So Scar is a friend of the sinister hyenas and he's not happy with the arrangement. He wants to be king. Scar is clever and he orchestrates a fiendish plot to murder his brother and get Simba out of the picture by blaming him for the death and convincing him to run away. It's pretty fiendish, isn't it? Run far away and never And return. you're relying on a lot of things happening. Mm-hmm. The wildebeest stampeding, Simba going, Mufasa knowing where he is, Mufasa... Well, I think he wanted Simba dead as well, didn't he? That was the idea. Mm. And then Simba running away the, if he didn't die. He tells, doesn't he tell the hyenas to kill him and, he, and they don't catch him or something? Yeah, that, I, think, that I think that's right, yeah. I can't remember. Which is also very similar to Hercules. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. While Scar is raining, the Pride Lands be painting. <laughs> <laughs> There's a drought. Everyone's hungry. Zazu is in a cage made of bones. It's a nightmare. <clears throat> Meanwhile... Rowan Atkinson, is he Zazu? Can I just say, Rowan Atkinson in that role is underrated and they make the parallel they make him look like him as well mm. he looks like him <laughs> Rowan Atkinson is excellent in every role he's mm. a national treasure mm. he is a genuine national treasure mm. meanwhile 
Simba's off gallivanting with a meerkat and a fat pig singing Nakuna Matata. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, sorry, were you going to say something? Yeah, you know the bit in um, Hakuna Matata, the song? Mm-hmm. When he was a young warthog. Oh, yeah. When I was a young warthog. <laughs> I don't approve of that bit. <laughs> I don't think the comedy payoff is funny enough for ruining the song. Interruption. With a, <laughs> ruining the song with a fart joke, basically. Like, yeah. I feel like you've written an essay on this. <laughs> I could. I, every time it comes on, my, this is one of the things. There are so many things in my marriage that when I talk about my wife goes, oh, for God's sake, this Not again. this again. Yeah. And this is one of them. Whenever this song is on, because we listen to Disney music quite a lot, as mm. I'm sure we all do in all of our marriages. Um, whenever it comes on, I'm like, I just don't like this bit. It's, the, it's a fart joke in a song. And if you're going to make a fart joke in a song, it's got to be a good enough fart joke that it was the payoff was worth it. Hmm. was worth the sacrifice you made to put a fart joke in Fart jokes rarely end in anything but a fart, though. But how can they make it better? <laughs> but, like, sometimes it's like, oh, that's so funny. But that just wasn't funny enough. No. Common denominator. Lowest common denominator. Mm. Appealing. What do you think? Do you agree? Uh, I'm, I don't feel that strongly about it. I think it, if I love the song so much, I might agree with you. But you're indifferent to the song anyway. <laughs> it's a little, it's a jam. I listen to it. I'll sing along, but I'm not. Would you listen to? Would you love it more if Pitbull did a rap in it? <laughs> Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> yeah. On on the subject of Akuna Matata, we went to see The Lion King at the Lyceum, hmm. where it's where it's been for however many years it's been there. And uh, I tell you what, Grown Up Simba as the easiest gig in the first act. Have you seen it? Yes. He's basically, as you will remember, haven't seen it. He's not in it at all until like the last 30 seconds. And he does nothing until like the final chorus of Hakuna Matata. He swings down on a vine and he's like, It means no worries for the rest of your days. And the crowd go mental. Everyone's like standing up, standing ovation. Yeah. And then he sings like one line and finishes the song. The money this shit makes. Mm. Like we talk about billion dollar films, like Avengers and all that, Avatar. It's like made 12 million pounds 12 billion pounds and it's still going it's like constant cash cow it's unbelievable how much money the big musicals make yeah not that that makes it good or bad it's a cash lion (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say cash cow it's the Mm. idea for a new musical it's about a cow who pisses cash (laughs) pisses cash (laughs) you had two options there and you went with a weird one You could have gone with the one that is act- the metaphor is actually about, which is milking it. <laughs> or shitting money. Yeah, or shitting money. There's nothing wrong with it. Missing <laughs> cash. Anyway, sorry, Liam. Yeah, back to Lion King. I mean, you'll know the rest. Nala turns up. They have romantic lion sex. Timon and Pumbaa watch. <laughs> Simba talks to his dad in a cloud. And they go back. Oh, and it's, it's um, Mufasa's Darth Vader, by the way, as well. Yeah, 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 it's brilliant. And then um, the Simpsons did that as well, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Mufasa in a cloud, and then Darth Vader comes up next to him. <laughs> uh, Scar gets fed to the hyenas. It all works out in the end. But wouldn't it have been much simpler if Simba had just done what he was supposed to and stayed at home in the first place? <laughs> yeah, but he wanted to be king. He couldn't wait to be king. He would have been king. But he couldn't wait to be king. Presumably, he would have handled the drought better than Scar did. He didn't have this problem. He did not want to be king. He wanted to be king. He ran away. He just can't can't wait to be king. (laughs) He ran away from home. How did Scar handle the drought? 
Is it that Scar implemented a host pipe ban too late? <laughs> he didn't react fast enough. Is that the problem? Scar gave all the food to the hyenas. That's what Scar did wrong. And all the lions were like, you can't do that. You um, need to feed your family. And, and they, he was like, no. Nah, they hyenas, drank like, the whole hyenas. river as well. The yeah. hyenas drank the river dry. Did the yeah. hyenas drank the river? Is that the story? It was a drought. Like, well, how can the, speculating here. Yeah, how can the river just disappear? <laughs> Evaporation? Yeah. So why is it better when Simba comes back? I don't... Well, when you have droughts... Simba in, pisses so much that the river fills <laughs> up again. <laughs> when you have droughts in, in real life, it's not because the hyenas have drank all the... I understand that. <laughs> but you're trying to tell me that Scar caused a drought and then Simba wouldn't have caused a drought. Well, this is, this is an interesting thing, isn't it? Shit would have hit the fan with Simba there or not. But Simba wouldn't have given all of the meat to the hyenas. He would have given it to the lions. It depends how powerful the hyena pressure group was at the time. (laughs) I can't believe you two are discussing... (laughs) Lion politics. Yeah, lion governmental policy. (laughs) Anyway, my advice is is simple. You're so informed. Why are you not getting in on this, man? (laughs) My advice is... Silence means that you're... (laughs) (laughs) siding with the oppressor (laughs) look my advice is short and it's simple don't make Simba's mistake stay at home take your rightful place in the company as Lion King stop your uncle from ruining everyone's lives by feeding the hyenas instead of them and be that Lion King you were born to be yeah but you you completely misunderstand me he didn't run away he did something naughty he He didn't do anything naughty he intended to come back he didn't do anything naughty he wanted to be king that wasn't that wasn't he didn't run away as a punishment for wanting to be king. No, he ran away because they blamed him for his father's death. No, Scar yeah. said, you need to run away, and he trusted him. You shouldn't trust Scar. He's a sneaky right, So what's your point, then? I don't tell you what the <laughs> point is. <laughs> I think you need to watch it again, Liam. So we um, discussed this earlier, and this made me fresh in my mind. This mm. made me think of succession straight away. Mm. Succession. I'm going to say my consonants better. Uh, which aired 2018 to present. Mm-hmm. I've only just started watching it, so I'm on episode nine of season one. So created by Jesse Armstrong. Liam hasn't watched it at all. I've not watched it at all. So there's no spoilers here, even though it came out in 2018, so it's your own fault. Um, <laughs> You're past the spoiler <laughs> gate. I don't understand any years that were after 2002. He's not going <laughs> to... It doesn't matter anyway. No, yeah, he won't. Because he'll watch yeah. it in 2042. <laughs> <laughs> so all I want to do is talk about the four children. Yeah, of What's his name? Logan Roy. Logan Roy is the... The main protagonist, patriarch. Yeah, he's like the yeah the main characterish, but also he's Rupert Murdoch. He's Rupert Murdoch, in, Rupert but Murdoch, not the protagonist. Not. Protagonist. Yeah. protagonist. 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 Yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. So he's not hit. He's not a hero or villain. He's a bit of both. He's funny. Mm. Good for comedy. Um, so he's like the Rupert Murdoch character. He's got four children. Um, Shiv. Shiv let's talk about Shiv first what does she do Aaron She's in season one up to episode nine a lawyer no campaign advisor yes so she's a political advisor, and in the first series she switches politicians to her father's arch enemy like mm. the Bernie Sanders type politician mm. actually wants to bring her father down Mm. Okay, so she's not in the business at the moment. She's kind of being destroyed by her dad at the moment as well. He's like leaking stuff about her and about her politicians. So because she's not in the business, he's trying to make her life hellish. So she's not exiled. She still gets to speak to the family. She doesn't work in the family business, but maybe because she's not, her dad's giving her a hard time. Next, who's another child? Uh, Kieran Culkin. What's his name? Roman. Roman. Roman Roy. Black sheep of the family. 
he's a playboy and he's open about being a playboy no one trusts him to do anything serious and in season one he becomes COO while Logan Roy isn't very well and the perception is that he's just being given stupid shit to do just to keep him busy and out yeah. of the main picture so he's on the inner cir- in the inner circle he works for the company I don't think he's Logan Roy gives him much trust but he's kind of he's he's there and getting some form of respect we've got Kendall Roy Jeremy Strong is that his name mm-hmm he oh. was in The Gentleman oh, among right. other things um, so Kendall Roy he starts by in the first episode basically he's attempting to become CEO he thinks his dad's going to announce him as his successor CEO of the company and step down when he doesn't he spends the first season acting like he's um, trying to help the company by supplanting his dad and really is he just trying to boost his own ego has he got his own agenda like he's not a very likeable character I don't think mm. and at the moment he's like on the on the um, eve of completely destroying his dad whether it happens or not I don't know I'll probably find out tonight when I watch the last episode um, exciting, isn't it? so he tries to stage a coup that fails and gets fired. So he wants to succeed his dad, but his dad doesn't want him to succeed him. Maybe ever, maybe just now. And because that's a biting head of egos, he now is trying to destroy his dad. And then the last child is Cam Cameron. They call um, him Cam, don't they? Connor. Connor, that's it, Con. They, not Cam, Con. They call him Con, yeah. yeah. So Connor Royer, he's the one I want to speak about because he's the oldest son. And you would think in time, terms of like normal heir situations, he'd be the one to inherit a business. But he seems to be completely incompetent <laughs> and no one trusts him. They all just humour him. He gives his dad a sourdough starter as if his dad, the head of a multi-billion dollar organisation, has got time to make sourdough. So he's a bit of an idiot. Mm. And because he's an idiot, he gets passed over as potential head of the company. Yeah, he's not even a contender, really, is he? He's like no. not even in the running. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it also reminds me of The Godfather a bit. You've got um, three sons there, Santino, Fredo, and Michael. Michael being Al Pacino. Sonny gets killed. Santino gets killed. He's the obvious heir to the Corleone family. Fredo is a complete idiot, so they send him off to Las Vegas to keep him out of trouble. And he gets passed over, and Michael becomes the Don. And it's a similar situation. So the best thing to do is to act like you're terrible and then you won't be considered to take the role, basically. Mm. And you can probably, you won't be exiled because they'll be like, oh, bless him. He's not good enough. So we'll give him something to do, yeah. but we won't give him any responsibility. And then you can probably live quite a nice lifestyle, but not have the responsibility and not be exiled. So that's my advice. Connor it. <laughs> Connor Roy, that shit. Connor Roy, that shit. I am in total agreement with you, Carl. Yeah. Yeah, and that is my point as well. So I kind of stole your point from the last episode talking about a similar problem where you said we just, find someone else. We just bounce off each other so well. I'm doing like a dynamic movement. <laughs> I can see Carl and I can see that he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't call that dynamic movement. It's definitely movement. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I, my point is going to be that as, as well. So just like last week, you're foreshadowing all over the place. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry about the miss. <laughs> yeah. Difference is that I'm going to use Post Office by Charles Bukowski. This is the semi-autobiographical memoir of Bukowski's time at the United States Postal Service. Have you heard of Charles Bukowski? Famous drunk? Yep. Well, as anyone who has read Bukowski will know, he loved to write about drinking, womanizing, 
And if it's not borderline offensive, then it's probably just outright offensive. And post office is no no exception. Henry Chinesky is a down and out drunkard who gets a job at the post office to fund his alcoholism and does a half-assed job of delivering mail whenever one of the main mail carriers is sick. And to be fair, he doesn't do a terrible job while he's at work. It's just outside of work that he does all the banging and drinking. So I'm betting that when he turned up, he did a you know, an adequate job. It's just he stank of poo. <laughs> stank of poo. <laughs> Brilliant slip. It's just he stank of booze and was grumpy and headachey. <laughs> stank <laughs> of poo. <laughs> he wants stank of poo. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, but that is just when he turns up. There's a whole section of the book filled with letters from the post office department disciplining him for being absent without leave. And these are so well worded that I wonder if they're taken verbatim from letters Bukowski himself received when he did work for the USPS. I don't know. I, don't, I didn't do enough research. <laughs> so write in if you do. And I'm not saying you should drink, bang, get arrested, stink of poo and booze as well. I am just saying the same thing as Carl said, that if you don't want a certain job, but you don't have the heart to outright refuse it, then a good option you have is just to be willfully shit at the job and they'll happily sack you and then it will be their idea as well. So they'll be like, we're doing him a favour really, we're putting him out of his misery. Incidentally, I had an Instagram friend once. I haven't made many friends on Instagram and we're not really friends anymore either, we haven't spoken in ages. Um, Who warned me once when I posted, I think probably a, Bukowski book on there warned me that uh, she'd heard that if you go around a man's house and his bookshelf is full of Chuck Palahniuk, Brett Easton Ellis and Charles Bukowski, you should run. Is that your bookshelf? <laughs> and that is my bookshelf. <laughs> it's full of it. Oh, we better run. <laughs> Before we wrap it up for the day, if there was just one piece of art that any of you would recommend that you've mentioned today what would it be starting with Aaron <laughs> uh, well I did enjoy a post office by Charles Bukowski however I've had so many recommendations of the Christie affair that I'm going to say that one give it a go 4.88 stars on Goodreads can't be wrong no that was a different book oh. <laughs> <laughs> probably not a good then <laughs> And I would say Mayor of Easttown. So watch that. I would say The Lion King, but everyone's seen The Lion King. So so I would say instead of The Lion King, which you've probably seen, you should consider seeing Dear Evan Hansen, because it's quite good. And that's all we have time for today. So why not check out the episode notes at agonyartpodcast.com to find links to all the media we mentioned today. If you have a problem you'd like us to attempt to solve, you can reach out to us on our group Instagram and Twitter accounts. That's at agonyartpodcast or on the submissions page on our website. I would like to thank our resident Agony Aunts for their contribution. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Carl. You're welcome, mate. It's all right. And thank you for listening, dear listener. We'll be back next week with more problems to muddle our way through and more entertainment for you to check out. We will see you then. Goodbye. Bye. Laters. But I'd suggest keep it light Cause their advice can be shite And they won't be held liable Oh no, not at all, not here at Agony Art.